Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? The people that are in your circle, family, friends that are your loved ones, they should be the ones that are clapping for you the loudest. They should be the ones that are cheering you on. There should be no jealousy, no ulterior motives. Today's episode is a rerun of a very popular conversation I had with my glorious friend and fellow crazy entrepreneur, the formidable Tina Tower. This conversation was originally recorded in my first season of the podcast. It was my very second interview, in fact, but it's rated its absolute socks off since going live, and I think it's such an important conversation that it was worth rerunning it as a reminder to us all. It's all about us surrounding ourselves with amazing people that light you up, cheer you on, make you feel good, and are there to love and support you. And those that do the opposite, if you can't remove them totally from your life, then minimise contact with them where possible. As Tina and I chat about in this conversation, the toxicity you are allowing to consume you when certain people are not great for you can have far more impact on your life, health, career and well-being than you ever even realise. Now let me tell you a bit about our guest Tina first though. Tina Tower has captured attention with her raw and real approach to building businesses and her willingness to share failures as well as her successes. Tina is an example of what happens when you define what you want in life and go after it with all you've got. Tina is an award-winning serial entrepreneur who has founded, grown and sold several businesses and franchises. She's written two books and has helped hundreds of people package their expertise into online courses and launch them into the world. If you're in the market to create an online course and don't know where to start, trust me, Tina is your gal. I have seen her in action now for many years and she is an absolute gun. Through her program, Her Empire Builder, She is on a mission to help 100 women build a $1 million a year business by 2025, and she's fast-tracking there, let me tell you. This is such a delightful conversation. I hope you love my chat with the effervescent Tina Tao. Tina, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on here today, so welcome. Thanks, Michelle. Hello. So I kick straight in and ask you just one question. If there is a topic that you'd like everyone to talk more about, what would it be? Mm -hmm. Big question. And the one I chose was removing toxic people from your life. Whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty heavy. I love it. Okay. So fantastic. Well, talk to me about that. There's clearly uh, a few stories in there and um, yeah, this is going to be awesome. So I haven't spoken to my family for many, many, many years. I had quite a tumultuous childhood and I know when I talk to a lot of other people and they find out that I'm disconnected from my family, there's shock and usually some judgment there. Uh, But what I find is for a lot of people, if they actually eliminated 
the toxicity out of their life, our lives can be a whole lot simpler and a whole lot more joyous and easy. And I know everyone has their struggles and up and down, and I'm not saying whenever anyone upsets you, just cut them off. But some really dramatic, serious things, I don't know why people tolerate having people in their lives that are bringing them down all the time. Such a great topic and I couldn't agree more with you and I think it took me years to actually be brave enough to do that and it was only a couple of years ago that I started to do that in like personal and in, in a family sense. But how old were you when you first sort of started removing yourself from your family and was there a key catalyst? What was the kind of key points with that if, if it obviously was toxic for a while? Yeah, lots and there was kind of like the final catalyst I know we've got limited time so there's only so many stories that I can tell but for me I knew very early that my family was not like other families so I left home when I was 13 which I talk a bit about in in my book One Life. Yeah the story in the book's amazing yeah. Yeah but I always kind of had this feeling that you know the the way that the environment was was not right but at the same time my mum was my mum and you love your mum and you want the approval from your mother and your father and all of those sorts of things. So I kept coming back again and again and again and again. And for me, it wasn't really until I had my own children that I started going, I love them so much that I literally could burst. I will do anything in the world for these children. And the thought of ever harming them physically, emotionally, any of it, I could not get my head around. And it was really only then that I was like, that is completely fucked up, completely. It was after that point that I really started questioning and pulling back a little bit and going, I love my kids so much. How on earth could you treat your child in that way? And so after that, I started pulling back and that caused even more problems. And then the biggest catalyst came about seven or eight years ago now when um, I was visiting my parents. I come from a big family, so I have five brothers. Um, I am the black sheep of my family, so which is good that I'm the black sheep in the family that I have. <laughs> but two of my brothers are in jail and it's just, you know, they're not good people. And so I was down there and, and my brother hit his two-year-old son. And so obviously I started giving a bit of, you know, you can't do that and what is wrong with you and all of the sorts of things that any normal human would do. And he grabbed me and slammed me onto the ground and grazed all my face with his hands around my neck. And my two kids were there. They were at the time four and three, I think, something around that. And they're screaming for me going, mommy, mommy, mommy. And, you know, I was trying to get up and go. And and then when I finally got out of it and I grabbed my kids and I ran and my mum was just up from where we were and I had tears just streaming down my face and just going, he just did this. This is totally not acceptable. I will not put up with this anymore. That whole whole thing. And she turned around and went, oh, Tina, you are always making a mountain out of a molehill. And I was just like, you know what? Can't do this anymore. Can't do it. So I was always treated like, I always had things said to me like, you know, I just think I'm better than everybody else. I think my shit don't stink. All of these types of things because I pushed back against the norm of doing things. But it, it kind of in that moment, I realized that it's a good thing to push back against things like that. And 
weirdly or not weirdly, I guess, when I look at it, but when I made that break and I've, I've then had no contact, my whole life has changed. My success levels went through the roof in the 12 months after that as a direct result. It sounds like in terms of that, you know, constantly being made to feel you're not good enough, you know, from your family members and stuff. No wonder, you know, your confidence would have been taking a beating. And once you sort of remove that from your life and just got on with it, you've um, just soared, uh, you know, constantly, huh? Yeah. I know a lot of people that I work with that come from really loving, supportive, encouraging families that have issues of not feeling enough. It's something we have as naturally inherent, a horrible human trait <laughs> that's in there. But a lot of people are actually explicitly told, you're not good enough. You can't do this. You're not a good human. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. So I want to just dig in a bit there on some of that stuff and when you first I mean obviously there was a significant catalyst there as you say and mine's not dissimilar it was when I put up with so much stuff from you know it's happened to two different cases from these people and then it wasn't until they one was that they had actually um, impacted my husband so I put up with it for years and years but once they did the wrong thing by Dennis I was like right that's it and so it was probably interesting that your children were there and to see that sort of behavior might have been a different sort of catalyst with you as well, I imagine. And it's hard and unfortunate that it has to take that, but sometimes that is it. So I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, it's completely like that. I mean, there's when it happens to you on and on and you get used to that level of trauma and you get to expect it and almost feel like you deserve it in a way. But then if something happens to the people that you love and you go, well, they don't deserve that, it makes you see it through a whole different light. But it's only when you really separate from that that you realise that the people that are in your circle, family, friends that are your loved ones, they should be the ones that are clapping for you the loudest. They should be the ones that are cheering you on. There should be no jealousy, no ulterior motives. Like that just shouldn't even be there. Well, they know what you've come from, right? They know how hard you've worked because of where you've come from to get there. You would think that's the way, but it's often not. And I don't know how you felt about this, but the other thing, you know, one, there's the element of, I know that this person's not good for me. And so mine is a couple of some family members that I felt that I've given so much, you know, all my life I give a, you know, 180% and they give 20% back. And I actually got to the point to say, actually, it's not, I've been blaming them for my whole life, but it's actually my fault. I let them treat me this way. So I need to actually be accountable. And that was the way I kind of flipped it in my head to get through that. The other one in terms of people that I grew up with. And, you know, I met these girls when I was like nine or 10 or whatever. And you go through your life and you've known them your whole life, but actually you change a lot and you grow and develop and often you grow apart, but you always have that thinking that you should be mates forever. And then I kind of got to a point where I was like, I don't get anything from this relationship. I'm always the one ringing and following up and trying to make sure they're okay and I get nothing back. And then when we'd all go out, I would just sort of get treated not, you know, really particularly well. And I was like, I have so many amazing people in my life that I don't have time for. So why am I putting up with this shit? And why do I make time for these people that are not good? They're, well, they're not good for me. They might be great for others, but there was always that guilt factor and feeling, you know, like I can't 
cut them off, you know, in that sense, and then feeling guilty about that. So how have you navigated that or how did you feel? It's horrible. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it goes away. Um, I mean, I know every year on like, we've just had mother's day recently. I spend all day battling. Should I give it another go? But there's a kind of thing that you go, you get burnt that many times that, and as you said, with the catalyst, like I've got 50 stories like that, you know, that it's not just, just the one thing there was, I'll tell you another, another straw that will, broke the camel's yeah, back. Though, right. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That will kind of give you um, an indication around the, the guilt factor. So my father, um, so my parents got divorced when I was one, they both got remarried. And so when I left home, when I was 13, I went to my father's house. That was not a good experience. <laughs> and we've kind of never been close. And then he tried to come back into my life when I got older, like in my 30s. And I thought, you know what? I would love to have family. I really don't like that I don't have that close family. And I see people that have that level of safety and security and that trust with their family. I think, oh my God, that'd be the most beautiful thing ever. And so he came and visited me. He came over, it was my birthday and I had a party and he is an alcoholic and got completely drunk in front of everybody, told everyone how much he loves me, how proud he is of me. I haven't spoken to him for 15 years at this point. I'm just going, oh my gosh. And then looks at me and says, you know what? If I ever saw your mother walk down the street, I'd just get a gun and I'd shoot her. I'd shoot her through the eyes and all this stuff. And I'm just going, this is your one shot. I've let you back in the door and this is how you choose to behave. Anyway, the next day he then disappeared. So didn't say goodbye, just literally left didn't answer any calls like was gone I didn't hear from him again for three years later where he then said he'd got help for the first time in his life he'd gone to AA and wasn't drinking anymore and it was trying to make amends and we had a couple of phone calls and in the end every time I saw his name come up on the phone or every time I heard his voice just one word and my whole adrenal system would just go into overdrive and I would get off the phone and sob and it was just my undoing and in the end I had to go you know what out of wanting to do the right thing I can't do it because it's just going to derail my whole being and so sometimes we have to like you said at the beginning take the brave step and go we can do the right things for ourselves and that doesn't make us selfish it doesn't make us brutal it means we have boundaries and we're giving ourselves the best chance to thrive as humans. And I know in the case of my parents, both them and me lead better lives when we don't have that thrown into the one mix because we explode. Yeah, and that's a beautiful way to look at it. I think the way you've described that and to me it came to a, you know, a form of self-preservation. And I think, you know, I sort of said it before was one, you know, like I sort of had an expectation of these people to be a certain way. And they weren't performing in that way. And so I had to look at it and go, that's actually not their fault. They are who they are. You know, these are adults, they're not kids. So they are, and they're actually probably quite happy in their lives. And to your point, we just had outgrown each other or in the sense of family, just because you're blood doesn't mean you have to get on. And I think that's the dilemma. And I think this is probably, you know, getting to the crux of the stuff that we all feel guilty about is that we feel compelled that, you know, your brothers, sisters, mother, father, you know, grandparents, whatever, because they are your blood, you must all get on and you must love each other. And because that's what, you know, 
like family supposed to be like. I think it was interesting. I remember hearing a term years ago when I met a number of people that had um, spoke at an event and they'd suffered some, you know, pretty horrendous violence, you know, either sexual, emotional, physical from their parents. And it was horrendous to hear that because I grew up in, you know, what I deemed as a really loving, caring family. But my mum didn't really know how to show love because she'd had such a tough mother you know, didn't really know what a, an iconic, like an ideal mother sort of hood was. So she never used to hug us, kiss us or any of that sort of stuff. Whereas my dad was very affectionate, but I thought that was normal as well. And I remember these people saying at this seminar, they're like, a fish doesn't realize it's in a fishbowl. And so every kid growing up in their family thinks that that's normal. You know, you might go and stay at someone else's place or whatever and go, oh, that's a bit different. But as a kid, you're growing up in those environments. And I think that's the key thing in terms of getting as, you know, as you get older and an adult and go, that's not cool behavior. And I don't actually have to put up with it. So how would you recommend for people to extract themselves? You know, any sort of tips in that? And you know, what, what's the best way to manage it? And to your point that it is tough in those key moments where you do feel guilty, how do you kind of navigate that as well? It's the guilt and the sad as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think my parents did the best they knew how. And I give massive amounts of credit in going, I can deal with situations that so many people struggle with, that I have so much resilience in me and strength that I'm very grateful that. And I think that that's a really good way to get over it is to be able to recognize the good parts, but know that engaging in the relationship further doesn't really serve you. I mean, like to get back to your analogy of the fish in the fishbowl, when we become adults and we get exposed to the rest of the world, like we see that, but still when we see our parents, we revert to our childlike selves. There's so much emotion that gets carried around the rest of the of our lives and actually there's a lot of research about that and about where you sit you know whether you're the fourth child the first child all that there's a, a fascinating reading if you're interested in that sort of stuff because it says that as you, you doesn't matter whether you go and be you know the CEO of a top bank you'll come back into your family if you're kid number three you get treated like as if you know you don't know anything or whatever it's fascinating actually. and there can be positives to that but when it triggers you in all the right ways it's not a great thing but I've seen many psychologists through the years in in dealing with all of this sort of sort of stuff that we we had going on and you know I had one once that said you've got this preconception especially once I became a mother of what a mother means and how you should be treated and that's never going to happen you can never rewrite the history and she's never going to turn around and go Tina I'm so proud of you I love you so much this is never going to happen and so battling that on and on and always having these expectations that are never going to be met because that's just not the reality of the situation you then have to really look at it and make the decision of going can you accept that person for who they are and if you can't walk away it's probably better for you and it's better for them because how horrible must it be for her to never live up to my expectations of what a mother should be as well. So it's not good for either of us. And so it's better to kind of, in my situation, definitely to send that love and light, but from a distance and be grateful for the parts that she instilled. I mean, I'm the only girl with five boys and so a lot being raised was from her point of view, she didn't want me to be what she called a useless girl. She saw all of these really useless girls and all of these handy boys. But there's a lot I can do in life 
because I was taught that and I had that expectation. So there's always the positives to every negative. Yeah, but you're a consumist optimist though. And so, you know, like you've obviously essentially in an abusive relationship, um, yeah. you know, in terms of growing up in that environment, which is not great. But I imagine that's probably driven you to be even, you know, a better mum, I guess, and actually strive. you're an amazing mother. But, you know, is that an element that you think has really brought that in and why you are such a close-knit family, your husband and your kids as well? Most definitely. Absolutely, 100%. There's sometimes where I go, I really have to pull back because I'm smothering the crap out of my kids. <laughs> and I go, like, sometimes, like, I'll look at them and I'll go, you know how much I love you, right? I just think you as a human is just the greatest thing. They're like, mom, you've told me, like, 25 times today. I'm like, I just never want you to question that. But the beautiful thing is they probably had a chance to read or understand your book and stuff and the stories. You're so open about that. So they know why you feel that way and you feel compelled to share yeah and they're very aware of the whole situation I mean I'm really close to my grandma and she lives with my mom and she's 93 years old and went into hospital a couple months ago and my mom called to tell me and it's the first time I'd heard her voice in like five six years and so I walk around the world every day thinking I'm a very put together very level-headed capable strong woman Phone rings, unknown number, I answer, I hear my mum's voice. Within 20 seconds, I'm like hyperventilating, sobbing. Didn't even know there was anything wrong with my grandma yet. Just could not handle how quickly that happened. And that's the same for a lot of people. Like a lot of, a lot of people that are in those situations, there's so much that triggers in that. But, but I know that while I'm over it in the sense of, you know, I've accepted what happened and what that meant for my life, I can very much move on and, and live a fantastic life knowing that that was part of it. But as, but as, as soon as it triggers, it's like, and it comes up in all sorts of ways. You know, when I was in business doing different things, if people attacked me in a certain way, it would bring up a whole heap of stuff. And I had to keep recognizing that and remember, no, that's that situation. This is this situation. Some fabulous ways there for people to navigate that. But there have been some circumstances I know with mates that have tried to extract themselves from situations or from people and the other person just won't let go. And they, you know, it's one thing to sort of like you and I, we've separated with the people and we've kind of managed that and have no contact, you know, in our own terms, I guess. What would you say to someone that is trying to navigate that and the other person just, you know, is um, bad for them but thinks that they're okay and like a toxic person and then just keeps saying, well, well, you know, why haven't you called me or why, why, you know, why don't you respond to my messages on Facebook and whatever? Yeah, I got that. I got all of that. I mean, there was once I went down, I think it was my grandma's 88th birthday or something like that. And I had timed it so I could go there when nobody was home. And when I went back, my mum was there and she like ran onto the driveway and threw herself in front of my car, yelling at me and wouldn't let the car go. Like it's just, but the door has to stay closed. So unfortunately she's blocked on all my social media, on all everything, the numbers are blocked. Like there's just no possible way to get through. I mean, it's the same in a small sense, like in, in kind of like a totally different sense. There was like one friend that I had that we kind of met through business that I could tell very clearly that she wanted to be friends with me for very different reasons and didn't want the best for me. And there was a whole lot of, weird like bitchiness going on and all sorts of things and like I unfriended on Instagram and the amount of upheaval that was caused by that so 
you know, it's not an easy thing. And then you feel like an asshole when you cut people off as well. There's no getting around that. Well, that's what I wanted to dig into, right? Because that's the thing. But actually, as as, as having done it, both of I mine mean, and yours is way more extreme than mine, but these people I used to stress about all the time and I used to feel like I was being an asshole anyway. And so then I was like, you know what? I just don't need that angst in my life. And then removing it and then actually I was like, well, they are now free to live their life as they wish and I'm really happy for them. And it's just that our paths no longer need to cross and I'm okay with that. And so I think I sort of really had to talk myself through, you know, how I'm going to manage this and actually, you know, as you say, send them love and light. And I genuinely do that. And I genuinely want them to be happy. I have no malice anymore with it. I'm just like, actually, we just, you know, it's like the old dating situation. It's not you, it's me. It's just, we don't, can't be together anymore. You know, there's enough stress in the world, life is hard enough as it is without putting up with something that you know, is unsafe for you emotionally and you, you can choose joy. I think be brave enough to choose joy. So are there key elements that you would encourage people to try with that, like in terms of reframing things or some tips and tricks that you've used over the years that, you know, can assist with that process? Like from a lesser sense, mine was to the point where it was pretty severe that you couldn't really communicate. But if it's ever happened in a lesser sense in, in talking to people and going, these are my expectations of what I want from a relationship. This is how I want to be treated. This is how we deserve to treat each other. Is that something that you want to adapt to take on board and if it's not then literally make it a very simple let's part ways I just think it doesn't have to be as complicated as a lot of people make it out to be I mean I know I've talked to a lot of domestic violence victims through my time and I know with a lot of a lot of people that are going through DV that they feel like getting away from that situation is just not an option and so in that situation you know if anyone's in that sort of environment it's it's finding people that can help to give that perspective and to help know that you don't deserve to be in that situation no one deserves to be in that situation and and so I do think we have to have enough self-love to be able to go we can choose the path that's going to make us happy and we don't have to suffer through people treating us poorly Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, obviously something I talk about in my death book is around ensuring that you're living life to the full because we're not here for a long time. So it is so important that we do live a life that's true to us. And I think that's the thing that I had to learn was that, you know, there's people that come in and out of your life throughout your life and that's okay. And some of them are amazing, beautiful humans that you kind of go, you remember back and go, oh God, that chick was amazing. How did I lose contact? You know, so it's funny that that stuff happens, but, and, you know, and sometimes these toxic people come in to teach you something, but doesn't mean you have to have them in your life forever, even if they are blood relatives. So I think that's kind of the message, the key message today, which is a beautiful one from you is, you know, choose your own path and choose joy, as you're saying, to ensure that, you know, you live the life that's true to you, right? Yeah. That's 100% what it is. You've summed it up beautifully, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tina, it's been awesome to talk to you today. Thank you for being so open and honest as you always are and sharing your um, really personal stories with us as well. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? 
please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com. Listener.